0: hey everyone it's yas here and i'm calling today with a little favor to ask over the recent weeks and months i've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today i'm going to be trying something new with the show i'm trialing a QA segment where i'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator gerard jones now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every sunday evening at seven thirty gmt live on twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly otherwise i'll be releasing them here every wednesday on the coaches network podcast so, for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in, where myself and Joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So, the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at Net. Once again, that is at thecoachesnet. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast. A podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UAFA licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. You know, planning for individuals whilst developing the team, so... You know, so many different directions this could potentially go in. But what, you know, wh- where did your mind take you straight away on that one?
1: Yes, yeah, so I wanted to throw something in different, which was that for me. When we often talk about developing the individual or planning for individuals within the team, because often the general practice is more focused around the team. It is a team sport, of course. You know, how do we focus on developing and nurturing the individuals within that collective? We can often go down the realm of, and we've said this many a times, you know, what are the needs of the person in front of us? Who's in front of us? How can we co design with those players? How can we get their, uh, what they want and and get their interest and how does it relate to their strengths, their areas for development and get them to really champion and and lead their own development? So it's that extreme ownership, if you like. But something I wanted to say before all that, because those are the, sort of general comments, if you like, was, well, what does individual development look look like for the organisation? Because for me, where my head went was, it's all well and good. We talk about people's needs and that is a part of it. Well, what's the club or the organisation we're working in? Because that should be a huge consideration, you know, initially. As well as we're talking about what they need, we're developing players for our environment, you know, not just for, for other environments. Of course, there's a responsibility to develop players, you know, for society. You want them to be good people. We know that, but you know, if I'm working for, uh, maybe it's a bad example, Yaz, but I thought about this today. If I'm working for Tesco or I'm working for AIG and insurance, or even like in my role now, I'm a director of coaching with, with, with sporting Kansas city, you know they're going to look at individual development. They'll organise things for people for staff, right, to to enhance them. But it's ultimately to benefit the, the company. That's the first thing. You know, if I want to go off and get better at X, that's all well and good. But if that's not aligned with, <clears throat> excuse me, the the vision and the principles of the organisation, it's not going to be necessarily a priority. So you know, as I was thinking about this, I know we can go down the road, and we will have. How do you develop individuals within a practice? How do you do that? All this. One of the things I wanted to start off with is, well, who who is the the club? What's your philosophy? What's your principles? Because if we're a club where, you know, we want, for example, in our club with Sporting, we want players that are technically proficient, tactically astute, understand the game. Make good decisions. Are self learners who demonstrate a passion for constantly wanting to to learn and improve and work hard. Right, that's what we want. And um, we have certain qualities, or certain key qualities of a player, and values around that. Of course, we want players to be physically capable to meet the demands of the game. Right at their level, at their age group. So, what does their game look like? But we want players to demonstrate that. Resilience, that ownership, that problem solving that self learning um, there's some other phrases which more link with the first team around team first and stuff. so when we're developing individuals that's a consideration of like how does this fit within the organization that's the first step, and then after that, then we start to look at okay, what are some of their strengths and, and so forth I don't know what your initial thoughts on that before I go any deeper. But I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, no, I think you know, cause it, it will look different whether you're at Chelsea or Forest yeah. or, you know, joke blogs United. Yeah, no, I, th-
0: I think there's a there's a lot in there already, and I think there's some good considerations, and I'm sure there's plenty more that you've got to kind of throw at us. But my first kind of thoughts are, it brings back to a conversation I was having recently around, um, you know, slightly off topic here, but around developing the individual, but as as a coach. Right, you know, so all these different organizations, different clubs have you know fundamentally they've got different outcomes, right? You know, you, if you look at a uh, Chelsea as an example, you've got to be realistic and say, Well, how many of their players are going to go fly straight into their first team when they finish up? So, is the goal really to get their players in the first team or, or to build them up to a point where they can make a commercial value off them, right? As opposed to, I don't know, maybe a, a Stevenage or a uh, or Rochdale where actually that's not the same model the model there is actually we need to try and if we can make if we can make some money off these players then great otherwise we want these players to be ready made to almost go into a first team and actually be part of that process so there's a fundamental difference in that now when you're looking at well what does the coach development look like in that organization how does that then impact on how the coaches should be developing what the focus should be there so you know aligning that to this now looking at players well you're right. It needs to be, there needs to be an overarching v- vision of what the team wants, right? And it's how the the individuals fit in within that. And yes, there has to be some element of understanding that there's going to be peaks and troughs in their in their development journeys. But as much as it is about developing them as individuals, you're developing them to a certain point. You're pushing them towards a certain outcome that that aligns to what the club wants. So, you know, yes, in theory, wanna, you know, believe the idea that. Coaches are going to just try and help the player become their best selves, if you like. But actually, when you now throw the hat on it and say, "Well, the club look at left wingers like this," but this guy's a left winger, which is you know a bit unorthodox and, and 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 is not really aligned to what the club are really looking for. Typically, as a left winger, you know you could have the argument there that the talent idea and the recruitment process might not have um, done its job there. But fundamentally, they've identified a player who's got higher potential how far the club willing to go to support that individual despite it not aligning with the typical profile of a left winger in that organisation if that makes sense so I think you know uh, there's there's many aspects to that obviously that you can kind of unpack further and look at but I think you know it's not just the organisation it's also then well how does the coach then perceive that development to look like you know does the coach have the same alignment of that organisation's profile of what this player could or should look like. Does the coach have a different insight? Does the coach have a, even have enough experience to maybe explore and understand the different ways in which this could look and how to best operate with that individual and what kind of function that player then operates with as part of the greater team, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot
1: of sense and that's what I mean, that you've got to first think about the environment we're in whether there's people here who are grassroots, whether the academy, whether they're at their higher end, wherever you are on that journey or what you're working with, that's a huge consideration. And then for me, the, and you sort of touched on this, Yaz, actually, which is pretty cool, is the vision. So what's the vision? We've almost got to have this eye in the, the next 10, 15 years, but then also what does that look like within the immediate term, you know, the next year to two years to five years, for that player you know there's certain uh, i'm not a huge fan of the word milestones but i'll use it as an example because most people could probably relate to the phrase you there'll be certain points where you want them to get to right so if they are a, a, a player who's u9 u12 by the time they get to that u12 or even get into 11b11 or get into under 16 there's or even beyond that you know at 24 or whatever at each sort of stage on that journey, there's there's going to be certain things that we want them to have. So then, to me, we've got to... So if we think about this really simply, and you sort of looked on this, well, you know, if you're in a club, you know, an academy, it's who's the left-back, who's the right-back. You know, we had certain players who we knew couldn't get in because so-and-so was too far ahead of them. And, they, you know, they're, they're probably third or fourth-choice they're not going to outplay that person. there's other people in the age groups above that are further along, so it might have to be okay, where's this player fit elsewhere you know within the jigsaw so you've got that mindset, and then I think you know one thing for everyone to take away if we think about the topic of planning for individuals it's well, what does that actually look like in terms of that future that development that pathway so that we're creating a a vision for people to to succeed. So for me, we've got to look at how we create personalized experiences. So those milestones where it's like an action plan, where you're looking at the season, you're looking at the season ahead, you're looking at, you know, uh, basically what your short, medium, long term goals are. Those targets get the players to cope, you know, have an influence on what those targets are. Sitting down with players beforehand. And then you're almost, and we can go into this more later, but you're framing that environment for them. You're priming them. So it's like, right, Yaz has said, you know, in the ne- just in this next short, short-term period of time, I need to get better at my positioning because I'm finding myself where I don't know when and where to move and my movement off the ball, I'm often getting myself marked or I'm in places where I can't um, uh, receive <coughs> to, to, to keep the ball. Uh, so, okay, we, let's work on that. Because then, for me, then it's, you know, when you look at the design, create these, I'll use that phrase again, personalized experiences. So, if we're developing the individual within the, the collective, we're looking at, okay, what are the activities that we're going to create for them? What's the matchups? So, I'll use, I'll say, matchups, competition. And then uh basically games program because the activities, the matchups, the competition, the games program, that'll all feature into how you're playing how you're planning for their individual development. So, you know, if I go into one which is matchups, what I mean by that is if you're planning a session, what players can potentially outplay me or cause me a problem if Yaz is a fantastic forward. Uh, getting past people with speed, but needs to deal with uh, body contact. He typically relies on speed and skill. That's his strength. But his area for development is dealing with contact. My strength as a defender might be dealing with contact and and getting at people. But I struggle at times with dealing with people who uh, are quicker than me. So it's how do I play intelligently against somebody like that, that type of forward? Or if it's, you know, I struggle at defending in in wide areas and this guy's good at... So you're basically, you're creating matchups, and then effectively what you're doing there is you're thinking about planning for those individuals within the activity. So how are you putting them against each other or not as the case may be? And then the competition piece for me is how you're designing levels of competition within each practice or within each game. So you're almost creating a, a game within the game. So you're making it motivational, but you're setting them targets. So that individual objective, isn't it? Where before the game, it might be how many, you know, can 50% of your touches go forward or most 70% of your touches go forward. So you're saying to him, you've got to be, your first touch must go forward or find ways that you can position yourself where you can go forward. Or it might be a target of how many passes can you make that break a line, because they typically go backwards and sideways. So for them, we're able to objectively measure that. Like there's quantitative data there that you could do at any basic level to to basically break down. Well, how many passes did they play forward? Was it on to play forward? If they couldn't play forward, why couldn't they? And that's a consideration as well, because if the if the midfield for the opposition are playing in a certain way. That prevents that player from doing that. That's great. That's self-learning. And then the other stuff that I talk about, I don't want to give too much information once. I've probably done that already. But you're then obviously thinking about, well, how does this link to the game? And then that's when you, you're getting your coaching and your match day and all that type of stuff he has. But that to me is, and I know we can unpack this in more detail, we're thinking about the individual, just to summarise, we're thinking about what activities are we creating for them? How does that link with their individual plan? And then what potential matchups or competition or challenges can we design? Co-design is even better. That doesn't ever forget the strength of the player because you want to keep improving that. That's what got them in the building in the first place. But then still touches on the areas that they need to get better at. And then for me, that's when you can start to be really clever in your coaching, whether it's individual challenges, whatever it may be. So yeah, I don't know if there's any questions you have around that, yeah, or even, you know, how you've done it differently. You know, or if you've done it similar and, and that type yeah, of
0: thing. Yeah. I think first of all, again, there's there's a hell of a lot in there. And that are two key things that really kind of just um come to mind for me on off the back of what you said. I think it's important to kind of distinguish and um differentiate between that of a high performance environment and that of a recreational one. Uh, more specifically, maybe looking at an academy versus a grassroots team. Because you know, and I'm I'm not sure what your experiences are, but I know firsthand from having spoken to people in, in, in the systems that there could be a situation where, well, actually, Gerrard's an uh, under-13, he's a left-back. um, And he's going to be going into our first team. We can see that in about five or six years based on trajectory of where he's at and his development. He's he's going to be the first team. So uh, the left-back are under-14, the left-back are under-15. They're just really there to plug a gap. Until this player is ready to step up and take that place, um, so then you know it's looking at well, what's the purpose of that individual being in there? Again, you know this is really to differentiate that for a high performance environment, potentially against a grassroots one, if you like. Um, these are some of the cons- you know considerations. These are some of the conversations and observations that are taking place. Like, what is the reason this player is in here? So you talk about individual strengths and areas for development, and sometimes the individual strength that the under fifteen left back has. Is just there to challenge and stretch the <clears throat> areas for development of the centre forward rather than them being the prime prime objective of, right, this left-back's going to become a first-team footballer at this club. Actually, no, the left-back that we're targeting is the one in the under-13s, but he's going to take a couple more years before he's ready to step up to this level. But we can see that's what our focus is going to be on. So let's bring in a left-back that's going do to do, quote-unquote, a job for the rest of the group. Or the players within it. So I think these these are conversations that do take place. So I think it's really important to highlight and then, um, identify that these are conversations that do take place. So are, are they right? Are they wrong? I'm not sure, but it just gives you some of the maybe considerations that people are taking into account when they're actually are they planning for individuals within the session? Uh, I mean, and the kind of the second kind of uh, thought it kind of takes me down the route of is we talk so much about individual development. Um, having a player-centred approach and, and whatnot. And often, a lot of the organisations, whether they're one club or the next club or whoever it is, they often fo- follow very similar processes, right? They've got these individual development plans and they've got this and that. But I think for me, the one the, the one that the one that really makes you question the processes sometimes is hey, you base this on an observation here and here, but how often do the coaches actually utilise data like you mentioned there? or footage of some sort to actually justify this is, this is your individual development plan. And then I think there's the other question within it as well, right? It's, well, who's deciding on these outcomes? Is it the player's individual development plan or the coach is deciding it for them? Again, just a few thoughts. I don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are. Oh, <laughs> no, this, is,
1: this is gold stuff because I was going to ask a question back to you then, which is who decides the mentor? Is it the player? Is it the
0: coach? Is it the club? Well, well, I think I think it's again another conversation I was having with someone yesterday. This is more specific around coach development, but I think the same things apply. It's not who decides the mentor. It's what does the mentor need to provide. It's what is the mentorship for. And I think th- this is the problem, right? Sometimes. And if I just use a coach education example, as 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 one to kind of really paint the picture, I go back maybe you know just over ten ten or so twelve years ago, maybe. I did my FA Level 2 or, you know, a few couple years after I did my UEFA B and you probably had similar experiences. Just, you get signed off, back end of your qualification, on your action plan, it says, right, before you go and progress, go away and observe and support, you know, a more experienced coach. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, if I don't know what good experience looks like and I'm just looking at it on face value, I'm just going to assume that this person's got the qualification above me or they've been coaching for a certain number of years, therefore they must have the answers I'm looking for. And, it's a very naive way of looking at it, right? And you know, you don't know what you don't know, but you know, thankfully, you know, we've had experiences that can kind of in- give us insights and influence other- otherwise. So, I think for me, it's not who picks the mentor, it's have we still have we have we yet decided what the mentorship should be, should be, you know, supporting? You know, is it someone that needs um. Is it someone that needs guidance and, and observation around how to break in to a new team and settle themselves into that? Is it someone that needs uh, support around technical work? Is it support? There's so many different obviously avenues we can go down and, and discuss on this aspect, but fundamentally, it's who's deciding what that support look what the support is that's needed before we decide what it looks like. If that makes sense, I don't know if I asked the question though. Yeah,
1: well that's, that that's what I mean because for me it's. There's some environments where it's a little bit more mobile and flexible. I quite like it where certain players can have the responsibility. I know AZ, they've done stuff like this when I went out there to study, where the player will actually choose who their mentor is, if you like. Now, I know there's environments where I always remember going in, I was head of coaching at Bristol Rovers. Part of my own development would be to go into other clubs and basically watch and see how they do things and see if I can pick anything off it. And I wanted to see Pete Trivian. You know, if anyone remembers Triv or knows Triv, I just thought, what a great experience, wealth of knowledge, uh, really cool guys, done some amazing stuff at Ipswich. It's not an accident. At the time, he was head of coaching at West Ham, so I went into West Ham. He invited me in, and it was really fascinating because for some of the players, the mentor was the kitman, or was one of the physios, or an analyst, or whatever. Again, goes back to your point there, where you said, like you know the qualities of the person who's developing the player, but also the qualities of what they're looking for. You know, because for some players, it was they needed to get better at their physical qualities or it might be that they just need to develop life skills, in which case this guy might be the best person for it. Or if it's for defenders, you know, like if you go to, even if you talk at senior level, but it's applicable to, to everything. If you look at Nottingham Forest as an example, Steve Cooper, he'll typically take the forwards. Uh, for whatever reason, and then you know, other people will take the defenders, maybe because they've played as a defender or whatever, so they've got some, I guess, domain knowledge there. So that'll be a way where they develop the players. All these examples are just questions. I think I think it's good when we're thinking about developing the individual. It's got to come back to well, who's the right person to enhance that that player, and what they need and what they want. Because one of the first questions I always ask myself, and I think it's one for everyone to write down if you're listening, is, you know, what motivates them and why are they here? I always ask that all the time. What motivates them and why are they here? The player I'm I'm referring to. But you can take that to any context, really. Because I I think it's just a great place to start, which is, you know, what's driving this guy or girl? But why are they here? Because for some... I know you were talking about like recreational and professional yes yeah, earlier it's the same sort of argument you know there's some there that are happy cuz they've got the badge on the chest they love wearing the tracksuit and that's enough for them for others it might be no they actually want to get somewhere like this isn't the end goal they want to their target is to get from this age group to this age group from that age group to the first team or whatever it may be for others it's a stepping stone to somewhere else for others it's they just want to be around the friends or whatever and, and just slowly get, you know, so I think there's that consideration. Oh, sorry, as I see your hand
0: up before I go to my next point. Go for it. Yeah, just really quickly on that. I think some good points there and I think <clears throat> looking at his mentor piece, um, it doesn't always have to be formal either. It can be informal. It doesn't have to be a sign that this is going to be the kit, man. He's going to be a mentor or whatever that looks like. It could be, um, you know, just natural relationships which have developed and you know, some of those mental relationships then turn into friendships and whatever else they may become but i think there's a couple of things within that sometimes it actually might be the role of the mentor or in this case an informal mentor might present itself in a way where actually a player's gone in and not known that there's a possibility beyond their imagination not not known that actually do you know what the mentor has seen something or someone has seen something in them and they've actually got of observation from somewhere that actually there's a lot of potential here that this player has no idea they've got, and with the right support, with the right you know right environment and the right guidance, actually you can now unearth something that this player never even considered as a as a pathway or a career for themselves. And I'm you know that's probably more specific to that kind of grassroots setting or maybe players who have come in and maybe just thought actually I'm happy just playing for the badge because maybe they never had the potential or had that insight that someone could actually see. There's a real chance for this player to go on and make it. Now, obviously, there's so many things that kind of impact on that, but I think it was just important to kind of maybe share, share some insights and that you know thoughts around that point that you were making there, Jared. No, it's good. I mean, I think even for everyone listening,
1: it's the there's a consistent theme here which is coming out, which is that there's got to be this constructive alignment, um, because the club want, and the profile of a player, and then how that fits in with the club's needs, if you like, and that vision, that pathway for the player, and what the player wants and needs, there's, there's got to be some kind of alignment there, or some mutual benefit, you know, because I always remember years ago, we would use this phrase of, we used to look at players as, is he a creator, is he a scorer, or is he a stopper, right? One of the three, create a score scorer stopper, meaning they create goals, they can score goals or they can stop goals. If they're good at all three, then amazing, outstanding, well done. Probably can you be really good at one, you, 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 know, you'll, you'll, uh, you could be a specialist in one. But then I've seen other clubs take that model and mould it to their environment. So, for example, I'm using forest as an example, but there's a lot of others I could give. So, at Forest, Nottingham Forest in England, they have this phrase of isolators. I don't know if anyone knows this: isolators, controllers, overloaders, and finishers. Ultimately, you know, it's not about reinventing the wheel. People are trying to get quirky with what does it look like in their environment. But for them, if they're an isolator, that's somebody that's normally, um, you know. Uh, someone that can dribble from wide areas or from the side, uh, receiving key positions uh, to be as a repertoire of, of skills to be able to to sort of like pin people and, and, and fix defenders and out, and, and uh, outplay them and outthink them. For this is for them their definitions, if you like. I'm paraphrasing, but as an example. And then like they've got the overloaders who are or controllers who, who are managing the tempo or looking to probe and find. Those type of players are constantly finding ways to penetrate, probe, find players on the ball, protect the ball. Uh finishes is obviously self explanatory. And then, you know, there's other definitions, but then what does that look like in the type of positions people will fit within that? And they're developing these players' skills, if you like. But they're identifying, like for them, and how a lot of clubs will do it, is they'll have this profile, whatever the profile is. So that could almost be a task for people listening: is what's the profile of the player for you? You're trying to develop. What are the key qualities within that profile, and then who fits in with that? Because you might find that you know Bartley is more of a finisher, or you know Gardner or Joe or Tom, whatever is over here. And then the type of positions they'll, they'll play, and to me, that's when you can start to really individualize, personalize uh, your planning, you know, for your training. So, you know, if I was to put this simple again, like I would say, have a discussion and almost think about how I develop that individual within the the team environments that I'm creating, whether that be technically, tactically, psychologically, physically, whatever, based on those profiles, because it could almost be that. Um, You know, player X needs to work on their ability to hold the ball up and keep hold of the ball in order to uh, bring players in. They're a striker. They're typically a number nine of some kind of a forward. They'll often lose the ball when dealing with pressure from behind, right? Their first touch leads to a turnover in possession. So then, okay, well, then how do I plan for that profile, but also those qualities that I need them to get better at, How do I plan that within a session or within a game? Well, on a simple level, it could be as simple as, you know, the practice possession game, which is a team focus. But then as the ball arrives to that forward or whoever the arriving forward is in a certain zone, whether it's safe zones or no safe zones, whatever it may be, they're receiving with that pressure from behind or or how you sort of manufacture it so that they're getting the meaningful repetitions. you know. I had a forward the other day who just needs to develop the confidence he has to to hit the back of the net. But we were playing a directional possession game. Breaking lines was the main principle we were working on. But as that ball arrives to the forward, whether he carries the ball into that finishing zone or arrives into the finishing zone, it was almost like imagine an end zone but extended. There was a goal and a goalkeeper in there the constraint was that no recovering defender could drop into that area to begin with. So they're building the attack, but then as the ball gets there, he's one-on-one with the keeper and his time constraint was that he's got to finish in under five seconds. And then, so there's a time constraint for him. There was no recovering defender. He was just one-on-one with the keeper, just getting that repetition. But as soon as he was attacking that zone, if you like, the second ball went in or the next ball went in. So it was always about the next action. Cause for us, that's a, one, managing the intensity of the session, but also the, the, the quality we want is think about the next action. So we've fed a ball in that way. Nobody's stood waiting for him to finish the attack. They're now working on possession, but they've also, the team who's in possession, the attacking team, they've got to keep it because he's not ready yet. He's got to finish his little bit and then he'll recover and come back and then it's, how can we find him again or someone else? So that, I mean, there's many ways you can do it. It may even be as simple as You know, you need a forward to get better at how they connect or run across players. Could it be that you funnel the practice in such a way where it it constrains the player that they can't go down the outside; they must cut across and go down the inside? So that's creating an affordance where the, the player has to look for how where the players are to connect with people centrally, or how they're moving across people just because you've coned a certain section of the field off. There's many ways we can do it, isn't there, Yaz? But I think, you know, to me, these are the sort of conversations we need to have, which is, who is that player, that player X? And then what is it we're trying to develop? And how does that relate to that quality that we're looking for, their development plan and the profile within the club? I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah, I think there's so much on it. I'd like to come back to one of the points that we made already. Really, that you know, who's deciding this? Who's deciding that whether this player should be focusing on like X, Y, Z? Um, is it is it the coaches picking it out? Is it the players picking it out? Are they working towards a formal framework? In terms of these are the areas of development that we want. Typically, these players to have, be able to exhibit for us. <clears throat> is it a case of actually in some situations the coaches' understanding and their perception of the game is limited. To a view that players have to offer, therefore, you know the players now saying, "Well, actually, no, that's not an area that I feel I can excel in." I'm, I'm looking at developing in this pathway. So then, I think it's it's that double-edged sword, isn't it? Because it's you know, you used the word earlier about want. You know, is it a want or is it a need for that player to develop? And who whose want or need is it? Is it the coach's need versus the players' want, or vice versa? And I think recognizing that, you know, there's <laughs> again, I come back to my previous point. What are we basing this on? So if I'm now producing an individual development plan for a player, am I substantiating it with evidence? Now, that might not be direct evidence of the player necessarily, but it might be even evidence or, or some sort of footage or some sort of data to show, well, actually, this is how we operate over here. This is the first team environment. This is what the first team... you know, I'll use the left-back example. This is what the left-back, the first team, should be able to do. Um, and typically, when the player who's at first team as a left-back, hasn't been able to do this consistently, well, they haven't gone on to make more than five appearances for the first team, but anyone that's managed to do it consistently, they've managed to get on and have more than 50 games for our first team. Now, it's just a very basic example, but fundamentally what I'm saying is there's some data and there's some there's some real kind of credibility attached to it, Then obviously that then gets the buy-in of the player as well, and saying, actually, you know that is something I'm willing to work towards, and all of a sudden that becomes part of it as well because it's how do you keep players motivated in your team environment when they are focused on their individual goals or in many respects, when you've got you know, a team session and they're not the focus players of the session, how do you keep those players motivated? So I think all of this stuff kind of ties in together. So I'm, I'm not sure what your experiences are around that and how you're managing that. And then you know, does every session become an individual development session um, as well as developing the team? And you know, there's a conversation I was having with coaches the other day around well, how, how do we strike that balance? you know, surely you can't be just, you know, as much as we want players to be developing individually, obviously there's all the stuff that we've spoken about already, but fundamentally, it's still a team game. And depending on the level I'm working at, well, the team will play its part in that. And obviously the individual plays part in that too. And obviously every single situation we're working on, especially from a team unit perspective, well, certain individuals aren't going to be priority in those in those situations. So how do we manage that? So yeah, just a kind of a few bombs to think about there, Jared.
1: No, it's really good, isn't it? I mean, it's, there's a lot of detail we can go into on this and, and I'm trying to share good examples and I'd love to get people's, you know, to probably a good segue just to say, you know, at any point, anyone has a comment or want to raise a hand, feel free to request and, you know, we can, we can unpack some of that and, and get your perspectives as well or if you Agree or disagree, you have a, a really good example you want to share with, with, with everyone. Um, definitely tune in. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think if, we, if we're looking at it really simply for, for anyone listening, like what's that process for, for the individual, there's a lot that goes into it. But there was one thing you kept mentioning a lot, you've said it several times, which is like the data piece. And um, what I'm taking from that is that how can you have a, a very clear and objective process that allows us to go on that journey with the players where we're able to reflect on what's gone well or where we're going to, what are the outcomes, but have some feedback that that, that, that allows our feedback then to that player to be individualised, but equally get feedback from them. You know, one process I tend to use a lot Um is just because you know, we remember things in threes and I like to mention things in threes, is I always say build, measure, learn. So I use that phrase a lot when we're talking about individuals, build, measure, learn. I know the FA have planned do, review. And build, measure, learn, the reason why I've done that is because we're building a programme but we're co-designing together with the player. Um, and then obviously, we're, we're, how do you measure the success of it so, what went well in the previous games or the previous practices? How how much has been retained? How much are they developing? Are they working towards their target or away from their target or on the target? And then, what have we learnt from that to be able to impact the next cycle, if you like? So, it 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 works in this cyclical process, and that's similar to how we've done it, even with our feedback with with the players that I've, I'm responsible for now. Um, and I'll share a couple of examples. I'd love to thoughts on Yaz, and anyone listening. Um, there was another question you said actually before I forget it, which was, you know, does every session need to be almost like individualized, if you like? Um, I don't know if you agree or disagree, and I don't know what people think because I, I get that there's probably like three buckets, if you like. There's individual training, there's it, there's individualized, and then there's 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 um, you sort of team if you like, because most people will, will probably just coach a team, but they're really facilitating a couple of individuals. The reason why I like the the individual piece, and yes, you can do that one to one, or you can do that in a small group, or you can do it within a team. But there's a there's a focus player or focus players, and of course, you know, the bigger the staff you've got, the more people you can divvy up. If not, it might just be it's me and twenty players but I'm trying to make sure that by the end of the session, I'm holding myself accountable, that these everyone's had a good experience, but these players in particular have really got something out of it. Um, so to answer your question, I don't know if you'd agree or not, but for me, I'd say every session, yes. Because I think I'm... And it's took many years to get it, and I'm still not a master of it, but I really spend time thinking about each player within that session... And for most people, they're all going to get a tick because of the the menu that you put on. So they're all going to get something out of it. But if you can really plan for one or two, it allows me, at least, to be more accountable myself. Because I might walk away from that session thinking, that was a great session. But Yaz might be walking away going, I never got anything out of that. That wasn't for me. We work so much on shape or whatever it is we, we said we spoke about for 90 minutes. But I really need to get better at X whatever X is, for them. And that could be the difference between that kid falling out of love of the game or not, or continuing or not. And, you know, you only get one crack at it. That's why I always ask the the coach, I'm going off on a tangent, is, um, you know, when earlier I said what motivates them and why they're here, I like to ask that question of what does fun look like for the player? Like, what's fun for them? Because for some, it might just be smashing people. <laughs> and the contact and, and all that type of stuff. But for others, you know, it might be wanting to score goals. Or for others, it might be like they have older siblings at play and they enjoy watching them. Their, their older brother is, is uh, very skillful and they like that and they want to develop their skills and they love to dribble and run with the ball. Great. that That same player might need to work on, you know, the basics. Don't get me wrong. But their fun aspect is that they want to score goals or they want to do the skills and the dribbles or whatever. So how can you plan and factor in that fun piece so that you're, you're getting that buying from the player? So it's planning for what brings them to the session. So I think that's a piece, I know we didn't really mention it before, but I always try and factor that in. And then uh, I don't know if you've got any comments on that, but I would then go into the... The process, if you like. So you mentioned this data piece. You know, I know at Everton they have a a sort of process where it's um, the player selection. So who's the person we're working with? Analyse the first few games, like the previous three matches that they played. What were the key findings that came out of that? They'd get the player to review their own games as well. So players can watch their own clips send clips maybe to the coach or whatever. You can do that at grassroots level. There's so many technologies now. And then you'd almost design the session based on those previous findings. But then that would be, you know, where you'd also, um, you'd, you'd frame the session to them beforehand. And then that'll impact the, the review of the, the next match or the last match. And then obviously how you go from there. And that's where I tie it into that. Um, sorry, as I saw your hand up, I'll you now. That build measure, you learn. Because to me, I think if you can have a real simple process of how you develop players, it should be, who's the person that we're focusing on tonight or today? Okay, let's review that previous game. What went well? What could be better? How's that linked to their development plan so we're not too reactionary? What are the principles we're working on? Frame the session, set the target with the with the player, and then do it. And then you review it. If you've got access to video, even better. There should be no excuses why we can't use video all these days because there's grassroots clubs over here in the States that are using Scout, Huddle, what else are they using, Uh, VO. Every grassroots coach I've seen over here has a VO. They pay for it themselves, not even just the clubs. You know, there's no – or just going Billy Basic with a camera or a phone. There's no reason why we can't watch the game back and then obviously create that meeting with a person individually or in a small group, and then set targets You know, for the next review, for the next game. So I think that's where, to me, then it becomes that cyclical process that, that guides and informs your planning, which is why
0: I mentioned the build, measure, learn. Sorry, Yaz, I saw your hand up. Yeah, uh, just, just really quickly, I just wanted to add a, add a point on that. I think... It's some great, great points in terms of how people can utilize data and how they can go about doing it. I think you're spot on as well. Just to really highlight that anyone and everywhere can do it. If you got, you know, if if you're on here listening to this via your phone, then you should have a camera on your phone, which you can subsequently use to record something. Um, but I think it's also get challenging the players and their understanding, and even yourself as a coach to really um, break that data down to that footage. So you know, if you are looking at the last three games it's not just looking at what you were doing, but it's looking at what the opposition were doing that maybe allowed you to do what you were doing or stop you from doing what you were doing. Was there fundamental differences? And the amount of of times where, if I give a basic example of it, where a coach said, yeah, my team's great at playing out from the back. And then in, you know, five games into the season, they've been great at playing out from the back, but they realise on game six, they're not that great. Well, the fundamental difference was on game six, someone actually pressed us. So, you know, don't, don't, just look at what's there and what you want to see as as the outcome but look at what's impacting on the outcome too and then how can you then utilize that information as a variable within your practice design to support the individuals in developing their 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 abilities around that and this can apply for the teams as well are we actually aware of what's actually challenging our players and you know allowing our players to get their successes so I think you know I just want to add that point to it but um no, yeah. it's it's good. I, sorry, just before we go over to Tony. <laughs> there's so much you've said there,
1: and and I know there's more that we can go into. We're sort of only scratching the surface, really, but this and a lot of the other stuff that we're going to unpack, I've just put a, uh, a comment for everyone. Um, if you can see, we're going to be running a webinar, myself and Yaz, on July 19th, and that webinar is a two-hour accredited FACPD event focusing on developing decision-makers, So what does that look like? And there's going to be a lot of detail and even new stuff that we haven't even spoken about yet or even that I've seen on other courses myself uh, where we're going to be going into the real weeds around the practice design, but also the organisation and the individualisation of that design, how it relates to those players. So I think anyone listening, great opportunity to gain some extra uh, education July 19th. I've put a link in the chat as well so you can see it in the thread. And just a good opportunity just to, to continue the development and the conversation, you know, in more detail than what we're able to to go into on these sort of spaces. If so that's all right to add, Yaz. Tony, how's it
2: going? Good evening. Good evening, everybody. Um, yeah, really good Great to see some new faces in the room, um, and hopefully, you know, some of you will be inspired to to either question via the threads or or, or even come on and speak. I just wanted to pick up, um, really, on the point that you were making, Gerard, a few minutes ago about how different people want different things from within the session. Uh, talking about the players now, when you were you were talking about the dribbler where the session that I am putting on tonight might not involve a lot of dribbling as a focus. uh, And and we've we've mentioned this before, that providing you are a coach who looks to cover all areas of the field with all units in your team, at some point there's going to be somebody who doesn't get... What I'm going to say is not everybody is going to get 100% of your time, 100% of the time. Uh, You know, as much as we talk about individuals, it's a team game ultimately. Um, And providing you structure your training appropriately, everybody's going to get something at some point. And even when the focus, I think we've mentioned this before, even when the focus of the session is on, for example, playing out from the back, your attacking players should be getting something out of it. Because while they're, or I say while they if they are observing what happens when we're working with our goalkeeper, our back three or four, and the midfield players who are supporting the pass, the forwards really, the bright ones will be thinking, right, what can I do to spoil that next time? So they are getting something out of it, even though that the, not the focus of the session. Sorry, Tone, can
0: I just, I just jump in on that one really quick before you do, Gerard? Um, first of all, good evening. Thank you for coming on and obviously sharing your views as you usually do. Much appreciated um, and obviously recognising there is so many new faces. Guys, if you are wanting to share any views, please... Put your hand up and do so. Um, but no, tone. I think it's a great point. But I think you know something else to consider. Then I think just to throw a question back at you, playing devil's advocate. You talked about maybe uh, planning your, I guess you know, your time, whether that be over the weeks or the season or however however it's broken up in your in your eyes, and doing it in a way where essentially someone gets, someone gets to focus on them at, at, at least at some points during the season in in a in a way where it's as uh, evenly distributed as possible where possible um, just to play devil's advocate I think there's coaches out there though that might actually neglect to do that because they actually have a preference of coaching certain things themselves or they may feel less uh, competent or less experienced or less knowledgeable in certain areas to actually coach it where that player might become the focus player so what you know, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah I mean you're absolutely 100% right um, when I first started, I've, I've mentioned this before um, but not everybody's heard my dulcet tones before so when i first started in academy football in 2002 we were given a set of bibs a bag of balls some combs and told to get on with it no curriculum no no real cpd at the time either internal or external if i'm brutally honest um so if you know i played most from sort of 14 to 40 as a, as a central midfield player, I'm going to have a predilection for delivering midfield sessions, for example, which I think illustrates your point. So if I get to the end of that season with my under-16s and I'm releasing a centre-back and I'm going, yeah, well, you know, you haven't really headed the ball enough, we don't see you challenging, da 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 If I haven't given him the opportunity over the course of that season to do those things, then what right have I got to release that player so our current curriculum and i'm more than happy to share this if people want to see it Uh, i've shared it before is a 12-week program so we go in possession out of possession transition and a consolidation week where the coach or the players can go back and revisit one of those topics So in that first four-week period, we'll have done, um, let's say, playing out from the back, uh, creating the attack from midfield and finishing the attack in the final third. And then on the next block of four weeks, it moves around the pitch. So we we talk about defenders in the final third. We also talk about defenders in the middle third. But we don't neglect what we want our defenders to do when we're in possession in the final third. And I believe, just my opinion, that that kind of curriculum, rather than coaching as a reaction to, uh, we just got spanked 5-0 at the weekend, we conceded three goals from corners, so all of this week we're going to do defending from corners. I just think you're going to give your players a better, more thorough developmental experience.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think... um... Again, it's just, it just—it just comes back to that piece, is not it? In, in identifying that we have, we may we may have biases that might overlook the needs and potential wants of the players themselves. So, yeah, I just wanted to make that point. Really, Gerald, I don't know if you have anything you want to add there. If anyone else has got anyone any other questions or want to throw at us.
1: No, the only thing I was going to ask Tony was, I think it's a, a good one because it's we, we we're aware that there's players who want to work on X, but we're not working on X tonight, or even those that. Um, Because you said you made the point, which is right, that, you know, in theory, we're working on this. The the counter of that is this. You know, if it's building from the back, the counter of that is pressing, you know. Or if it's finishing, the counter of that is defending around your box. Uh, Or if it's you're working on one side with the left back, you're hoping that it'll transfer to the other side or whatever it may be. But obviously, these are... um, I'm playing devil's advocate using Yaz's phrase. Uh, assumptions how do you from your experience ensure that you know when planning for the individual we're we're checking for our understanding and we're not assuming anything because there's a lot of players that will probably come out at the back end of the session and the, the session may have been for them actually but they didn't even know they didn't realize it how do we then get better as coaches to say you know this is for you like this is the clarity piece you know, my, whether it's through interventions or whether it's through just explaining the rationale. You know, I don't know what your thoughts are.
2: Yeah, you're spot on because the secret here is not to keep secrets as a coach. If we're going to be doing this, explain to the players, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it. Here's the focus. At the same time, I might be working with my defenders on playing out from the back, but then I'm going to turn around and say to my strikers or, or, or the midfield players that are in opposition, so how are you going to stop it? What are you going to do about it? So all of a sudden, although my focus is clearly on one topic, my, my spread of attention, if you like, is, is going to hit more than my focus group. That way, once they get used to my way of coaching, I suppose they know that they can't switch off because at any time I'm likely to just turn around and ask one of them a question.
0: I
1: think that's top class. I just put that in the the chat. I love it. I'm going to steal that quote. The secret is not to keep any secrets actually we, we can hold it all in our head, but it's we've often got all these ideas or all this sort of answers, if you like, in our head, but it 's how you get that into the the mind of the player I think um I think it's brilliant I mean yeah, it's the only thing I was going to ask before again, if there's anyone who wants to jump in, feel free like Tony did is just thinking about what interventions are we are we planning for the child because that's going to have a huge impact on our planning for the individual whilst developing the team yes we want to develop the team and you know it might be that the team need to get better at how we're switching play or just the basics of how we defend you know when we lose the ball how do we become really organized and disciplined and, and prevent the opponent from playing through us easily that could be the focus for the team but then how are you planning for those individuals within that even linked to that focus so to me, certain interventions, and then it's just the language. So, you know, how do certain players prefer to receive information? Um, what's the vocab piece that we're using with them? How does that align with 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 where they're at in terms of their age and stage? Because sometimes as coaches, I think we can use overly complex language or jargon, you know, the, and, and we often assume they understand and they might not. I'll give an example where, I remember being at uh, Rovers, Bristol Rovers, and the coach came up to me for the session, under-16s, and he was like, hey, you're going to love it tonight. You know, we're working on counter-pressing for the last six weeks. I was like, oh, cool, all right, I'll have a watch. And uh, anyway, I'm watching the session, and I'm thinking, bloody hell, there's not much counter-pressing going on. And me being me, I've immediately gone, well, are we talking about the same thing here? And I asked one of the players what their definition was. And anyway, long story short, Asked the coach what his definition was. I said, oh, could you just... And I should have done it really before the session, uh, lesson learned, but there you go. Um, and I went through, what are your objectives and this, and the other. What, what do you mean by this? And I asked, because that, that night, that particular night, there was academy manager there. Obviously, I was head of coaching. Under-18s coach was stopped by. He was watching. 16s is their lead. you got all these people. Every one of us had a different definition. Can you believe it? So then how the hell do we assume that the players are going to know? How are we measuring progress? But how can we develop players? Because we've all got a different interpretation of what that means. So to me, the the, the, the clarity piece around you know just going back on the secrets or the assumptions is huge when we're thinking about coaching environments. Are we aligned in our language? Because that's got to be crystal clear. And then that's going to, once we are aligned... Everyone knows exactly what we mean, it's then how are you phrasing that through the use of certain, you know, it's semantics really, but how are you phrasing the words to guide the players in solving those problems? You know, because if I say I want you to receive with the with your back foot, that's a command. And that's okay. I'm not saying that's bad, that's okay. Do they know what I mean by back foot, a back foot take or a front foot? Are we clear on that? versus, you know, I guess a trial and error would be, show me different ways you can receive in order to play forward or try to uh, take your touch away from pressure. So they might end up receiving, opening up and let it go on. The, or there might be other examples, you know. So I'm just showing a couple of different ways. Do you know what I mean, Yes. Where one for the individual could be, well, how do they want that information as well? You know, because Dan had said at Rochdale, he didn't like being stopped during the session. For him, it was more terminal coaching during the water breaks, and he would come up to me as well, which was even better. Um, sorry, I see your hand up, so I won't go any further.
0: No, no, it's not, not to cut you off, it's just you made some great points there, and I think you're know, just to highlight as a coach, um, you want your players to buy into what you're doing. Now, if I know myself as an individual, I know that you won't get me doing anything that I can't see the benefit in. So, share your secrets with me because I need to know. Um, And in many respects, if you share your secrets with me, I'll know whether you know what you're talking about. Smart players will clock on. And the moment you get caught out by them, they're going to start questioning everything you do. And I I, I learned very early on, actually to embrace the challenge of questions for my players because it allowed me to just challenge myself to make sure I knew exactly what I wanted to work on and why I'm wanting to work on it. Now, I could be wrong, but that's a conversation for me for a later point but in the first instance it challenged me to make sure that i had clarity in what i was doing Now, if i later change my mind on what i'm doing then that's fine but in the first instance it's allowing players to have the opportunity to have that discussion with you because that can be a massive part to play in how quick you get their buy into what you're doing and then the second piece you just touched on there about the individual saying he prefers it in a particular way now i'll t- i'll take that on board but I'd also look at it and say well is it because his perception of what it means to have uh, a, you know individual feedback isn't as effective so he wants to be told what to do or um, is it because that's what he's used to is it because that actually the way in which you're describing that you want to work with the player? even though you identify the benefits of it, they've never experienced it in that way. So I think it's, it's got to be the fine, the fine balance there, giving the player what they're used to and what makes them feel comfortable. But also even within that process, taking them out of their comfort zone and understanding actually there's different ways that we can communicate messages. Um, so yeah, just wanted to kind of throw that in there.
1: No, I'll, I'll respond to that as well, because with him, and there's no right or wrong, is there? But um, for him, it was as simple as he just didn't like getting stopped. He was just, He just wanted to play. You know, so he used to just get so frustrated, as we all do, where you're constantly stopping or you're saying, like, you know, oh, what could you do different here and stuff like that. He used to hate the the, the question and answer. And it's not to say that you wouldn't do that and only cater to him because, you know, it's going from one extreme to the next, isn't it? But I think, for me, and it just links to a question i just posted in the the chat for everyone, is how do players respond to your interventions or... You know, how do they view your challenges? Do they see it as a positive or a negative? Because I think sometimes, and do they know the why? Because if if we're really thinking about planning for individuals, we've got to be able to sell, we're selling something, aren't we? The benefit for them. But there's got to be that buy-in, and and they've got to be the ones that are driving it, for me. There's got to be that that ownership on their end that they're wanting to to drive with it, and they've had a say in it and, and what it means to them. So, you know, Ultimately, that piece is, is is huge because if we're not explaining why we're doing something or why this practice relates to their needs or what we're working on, for the player, they're asking, well, what's the relevance to me? And then you're not going to get that future buy-in. Um, and they might see or view your, your interventions as negative. Oh, he's always having a go at me. or he's always correcting me and things like that. But it, it might not be that case. For him, he just didn't like being stopped. But actually, what I loved from the experience was, um, and it was by accident, not by design, but I ended up learning a, a, a good method that I use later on and still do now, is he used to come to us, Yaz, which was pretty cool, of when he wanted feedback. And at the time, I was studying my Masters, and it made me think, like, blow my neck, Who dictates how and when players receive feedback? Well, it's normally the coach, isn't it? The coach will decide through observation, I've diagnosed a problem, I'm going to stop it and tell them. Or I'm going to do a drive-by and and chat to people individually. Or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. But we normally are always talking or showing and demoing and modelling or getting them to model. But we decide when those moments are. Typically, most people would agree. So for me, I ask that question of, well, how can I design an environment where the player feels comfortable that they can pick and choose how and when they receive feedback linked to their development plan. And it only came as a result of him. He used to come to you when he was ready, when he had a real burning question or he just felt something wasn't making sense. He would, he would come to us and I just think that's a really cool thing. So then what ended up happening was I evolved that into a method over the years of planning for individuals where I've developed it in such a way that the players can also control the pauses. So, the coach will still pause things, but how often have you ever been in a meeting room where you just want to stop and just go, hang on a minute, time out? Can we just go back to that first one? What, what, what? Like, we've all probably been in that meeting, haven't we? So, I think it's a great opportunity for those to do that with the players, give them a little bit of control. I don't
0: know what your thoughts are on that, Yaz. Yeah, no. Got a couple, but just before I do that, I just want to say, you know, it's really great to see so many new faces in the room and, you know, just to give everyone a heads up that, you know, these, these are part of you know, the space, rather, it's part of a series of conversations that me and Gerard having on a regular basis to support coaches in one, developing a community where we can actually engage in conversations like this, but also share share information as well. Um, so if you have got any questions, please feel free to kind of share, put your hand up and whatnot. But Gerard, just to your point really quickly, I think this just goes back to one of my previous posts I was making about... That player, from somewhere somehow, has get, has developed the comfortable um, approach or developed the ability to actually come up to you and say, "Actually, this is what I need. Can can you answer this question for me?" And this is the type of stuff I'm talking about. Some players aren't used to that. Some most players probably aren't used to that. I know that. You know, the way that I coach, you know, maybe if anything, the way in which I present myself in some of these conversations, you can you can you know you can see there's a lot of questions that always get thrown out. I'm like that with my players. And in in the first instance, when I you know when I first start engaging with players, and especially new players that aren't used to working with me, they're probably thinking this guy's asking too many questions, and it could be an, it could be an argument for that. But then, are they used to answering any questions at all? Is, is what I throw back at them, and I, and I always try and set that set that scene and set the environment to let them know that this is how. I coach, it's not the only way I can coach But this is the reason why I coach Again, coming back to that point about not having any secrets Letting them in on it This is how I like to coach, this is why I coach this way Um, I appreciate some of the considerations that this may have on you In terms of, you might not be used to it You might not be comfortable answering questions But they're not to catch you out They're really just for me to gain an insight on what you understand and what you don't understand So I can try and plug in some of the gaps that I feel I can support you with or maybe we can discuss it further around any particular aspect that we're looking at. So I think that setting the environment for that to take place is really key. Um, and this is probably something for an, another conversation on a later day, but it's how quickly or how often, or how, if at all ever, does that behaviour then change when it gets to a match day? And I think it's just something to really just throw out there and get people to ponder over. So, yeah.
1: No, it's a great shout, isn't it? Because it it comes back to... I know we mentioned this before in one of the previous sessions, but how is there that alignment between your coaching behavior from a practice to a match day? Because if in a practice we're saying, hey, it's okay, express yourself, mistakes are okay, yes, well done, well done, good try, good effort, but then on a match day it's, whoa, 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 not there, well then there's confusion for the player because, you know, on the one hand we've said it's okay to do this here, but here it's not. And I understand that there's context. There's consequence, isn't there, in a game, and it's how you recreate those same pressures and demands. I know we're going to go into that in the webinar. That pressure within a practice. Um, I agree with you. I think it's it's these are all really good points. You know, I think we've been lucky because one thing I'll I'll post just in the chat as we're probably wrapping up. Um, I'll, I'll post shortly. Is as Yao said, you know, this is a series of of FA events that we're running the last couple that we've done have been really good and, and feel free to listen back as well because there's some great content there uh from previous sessions you know we've had around 750 people uh more after today tuning in to the to the spaces and you can still listen into to the the ones around where i started my session objectives and designing practice for learning because that'll be a great feature to build into to this topic and you'll still be able to benefit from the, the hour CPD. Um, what I'll post in the chat as well so you can, you can see those is you've you got the links to the previous episodes, but I'll also post in the chat the self-reflection form. So everyone who's been listening and, and engaging with this session tonight, upon listening, basically complete a short questionnaire by the Google Doc, which I'll post now and that'll uh, allow you to be eligible for up to one hour of CPD uh, following tonight. So please don't forget, you know, if you're looking for that extra CPD point, uh, complete the, the, the Google Doc short reflection task and go from there. Um, Yaz, when did, just question question for you before I add another point. How long have we got until, uh, we've got obviously the next session next week, and then we've got the... The webinar on July
0: 19th. How long has everyone got to complete all the, the, the reflections and have them in by? Yeah, so the webinar was obviously the final part of this series on July 19th. Um, so by Sunday the 23rd, which is the following Sunday, um, that will be the deadline for everyone to kind of get in there, getting their task complete um, with a view to having the hours submitted for them the following week and um, just on that as well guys the hours will be will, they will be uploaded so please bear with us on that it, it's um it's a process which we are not personally in charge of um but if there's any issues on that obviously we'll keep you posted but just give us at least a week to get that updated and if you have any issues then feel free to connect with us the week after uh, so the 31st of july onwards amazing